If you love great olive oil, do I have a deal for you? As one of my listeners, you're entitled to receive for $1, listen to this, for just $1, a $39 bottle of one of the world's finest artisanal olive oils. And what makes this oil really special? It was just fresh pressed at the new harvest, so it's bursting with more harvest fresh flavor than any olive oil you've ever tasted. It's yours for just one buck to help cover shipping as your introduction to the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. And there's no obligation to buy anything now or ever. But what exactly is fresh pressed olive oil? And why is it so much more flavorful than store-bought olive oil? The problem with store-bought olive oils is that they can sit on store shelves for months, even years, growing stale or even rancid. The olive, after all, is a fruit. And olive oil is similar to a fruit juice in that it's much more flavorful when fresh pressed. And that's what's unique about oils from my friends at the Fresh Pressed Olive Oil Club. They rush their oils direct to your door by plane and special delivery truck straight from the latest harvest. This means that you, your family, and lucky guests can enjoy top-of-the-line artisanal olive oils at their peak of harvest-fresh flavor and nutritional value. This is great news for us low-carb lovers because pure, fresh-pressed olive oil has zero carbs. Zero carbs! It adds whole layers of amazing flavor to your favorite low-carb dishes, your roasted vegetables, healthy salads, grilled meats, delicate fish, toasted nuts. Oh yeah! I can tell you from personal experience, once you try this fresh-pressed olive oil, you'll never go back to store-bought again. Try it yourself and see. For your 39 bottle for a buck, go to jimmyoliveoil.com. That's jimmyoliveoil.com. One more time jimmyoliveoil.com Do you like cookies? Jeff Reese started Fat Snacks S-N-A-X in 2017 to make his keto lifestyle way more delicious. Fat Snacks cookies are soft baked to perfection using coconut flour, butter, and almond flour. First time I tried these Fat Snacks cookies, oh my goodness you guys, I fell in love. Plus they're sugar free, contain just 1-2 to two grams of net carbs, and have up to 9 grams of fat. Jeff and his team are proud to have become the top selling keto friendly cookie, all with just 1-2 to two grams of net carbs per serving. Fat Snacks flavors include chocolate chip, peanut butter, and lemony lemon. And they recommend you start with the variety pack on your first order. Head on over to fatsnacks.com slash Jimmy. That's F-A-T-S-N-A-X.com slash Jimmy. And use the coupon code L-L-V-L-C at checkout for 5% off of a single order or 10% off of your first subscription order. At Snacks Cookies. This show is changing lives. We talking about your diet, trying to get you feeling right. Cut up the avocados, fry some eggs. Time to explore the longest running health podcast, hosted by Jimmy Moore. Time to give up the crappy garbage. We're getting into ketosis. Every day is a new step to your goal. Yeah, you're getting closer. Motivated and focused. Don't stop, just go. Time to get inspiration from the Living La Vida Low Carb Show. Hey, the Living Low Carb Show.com. Hey, hey, guys, we're back here on the Livin' La Vida Low Carb Show with Jimmy Moore. And today I'm very privileged to welcome back on the podcast again, but it's been a very long time. His name is Zach Bitter. ZachBitter.com, Z-A-C-H-B-I-T-T-E-R is his website. 
Uh, he's an ultra endurance athlete coach, and he's the co-host of a brand new podcast I want you to know about called Human Performance Outliers. Now, Zach eats a low carbohydrate diet. It's helped him out completing over 50 ultra marathons as well as uh, or including three world championship teams, three national championships. And he now holds the world record for distance run in 12 hours, American record for 100 miles and fasted time or uh, fastest time recorded on a certified trail. So welcome back, Zach. It's been like forever since you've been on the Live in La Vida Low Carb <laughs> Show. Hey, yeah, Jimmy. Thanks for having me on. It's it's uh, always good to go on podcasts. And uh, when you look at, at your podcast catalog, I think it, it's safe to say you're you're a podcasting OG. You've, <laughs> you've got how many thousands yeah. of episodes? <laughs> yeah, I've been out there a little while, but it just means that this information is still needed that I'm still podcasting. No doubt. Well, yeah, when you were on the last time, I remember it was Jeff Volick said, you got to meet this guy, Zach Bitter. I'm like, who? He's like, oh, he's breaking all these world records and blah, blah, blah. Eating a low carb diet. I'm like, yeah, I definitely want to talk to that guy. So. <laughs> and so you've been out there doing your thing, uh, continuing to to be an ultra marathoner. Are you still doing that actively, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I actually am just finishing up this, I guess you could consider it the season for 2018 and starting to kind of plan kind of some races and stuff for 2019. So definitely very much in it and uh, haven't lost nearly enough interest to be looking at the end at any point soon. So hopefully more good things to come. So in all these years since we last talked, uh, there's been a lot of talk about exercise and low carb diets. And now that keto ketogenic diets are kind of the thing uh, and carnivore is out there. I definitely want to get your thoughts on that here in a minute. You know, we're, we're seeing all of these voices come out and say, well, that's just not the ideal diet for someone trying to uh, be an elite athlete, to do athletic performance. We don't see any professional athletes that are using this. So why do we keep talking about this within the context of exercise? What say you to that criticism? Yeah, you know, I think it's it's interesting. I think when it comes to nutrition and diets, especially where we run into problems is when we start making absolutes. Um, I think there's probably some very very clear things that are beneficial for people across the board, but there's also a whole lot of individuality, whether that be just the ability to adhere to a specific nutrition protocol of one versus the other um, and all that sort of stuff. So when you get into the sporting world, it gets a little interesting because um, it, it's just, you have to continue to unpack things. Uh, you know, you have someone who's you know, say training for an ultra marathon for the first time you know, maybe they're trying to lose a little weight in the process. That's a very different situation than say someone who is training for the Olympics and is running like a five kilometer race. Um, <laughs> so context is everything. Yeah. Uh, you have to put that, you know, one of the, the goofy things I always find myself running into is, you know, I'll be on Twitter or something like that and I'll get roped into a conversation and someone will make kind of this broad sweeping comment or absolute that says like, carbohydrates are necessary for endurance. And, um, you know, that's, that's a, an incredible word, word salad in my opinion, <laughs> because <laughs> first we would have to unpack what is endurance. Are we talking about a five kilometer? Are we talking about a hundred miler? Are we talking about a stage race? There's just so much in that. So yeah. we would need context in that. And then we have to look at words like necessary. 
It's like, do you, is it like impossible to run say a marathon without having carbohydrates in your diet? Or are we saying is having a certain amount of carbohydrate in your diet going to be better for peak performance where you're trying to run the fastest your body physically can go on that day? Um, so I think, you know, like a lot of things, there's, it's not necessarily one or the other. It's not all black and white. There's a lot of gray area and you can kind of flex things to kind of match your lifestyle a little bit. Um, for and me, even you the know, word carbohydrates, you, you got to yeah. have to uh, define what that means because it, exactly. can, it can mean a chocolate cake or it can mean a green leafy vegetables. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately what it means is when questions like that comes up, it tends to be a lot better to discuss these things on podcasts, I think, or long form things versus something like Twitter where, you know, you could string together 10, 12 hundred or I guess what 280 characters now um tweets to try to unpack some of that stuff but ultimately you find yourself just you know going down a rabbit hole that maybe is is fruitless in some of those situations yeah I wonder Um, sometimes if it's even worth banging my head against the wall yet again (laughs) trying to explain (laughs) something about cholesterol or explaining about this or that and it's just yeah yeah it's good because you've got to know people are watching the conversation so that's why I engage sometimes just because I know it's more than just that person. It's a lot of people watching. Yeah, mm-hmm. no. And I, I agree. And, and, you know, a lot of times you, there's a lot that can be said by, I think saying your piece and referring to some longer form thing you've done in the past, if they really want, if they're really interested in kind of saying, well, what exactly is this person doing that is making low carb work for them? Yeah. Whereas this other person is saying that can't, that can't happen. And being kind and it, in the process too, that, exactly. that goes a <laughs> long way. Some of those it vegans, does, yeah. man, they, they go off. It's a, it's amazing. I'm sure you get a little bit from Durian Ryder and some others that are out there that, oh, he's an anomaly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting. And, you know, I, I don't get a whole lot of negative backlash in terms of just just mean attacks, I would say. But like, you know, I usually what I've done is like, especially if it's coming in via email and stuff like that, if someone is is. It coming at with a, an open mind, I'll carry on dialogue, invest some of my time in, you know, explaining what I do and stuff like that. And my kind of litmus test, more or less, though, is if you come in attacking, then I have to question whether you're nutritionally stable. So <laughs> I don't yeah. know if I can if I can carry on a meaningful dialogue in that scenario. But uh, we'll eat a yeah, pat of know, butter and we'll talk in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so a lot of times, you know, it, when I when I talk about like a low carb diet and kind of its application within endurance and peaking for endurance too, you know, I'm usually try to be pretty, uh, pretty clear that like a context is, is everything. And it's not necessarily the same application. Uh, if you're doing a big training block versus, you know, recovering or yep. just trying to kind of use it from a therapeutic standpoint. Uh, cause that's another thing I kind of sometimes see, causing problems within the discussion is that, you know, we get these kind of parameters or definitions that is like, well, what is a ketogenic diet? And, you know, we oftentimes I think gravitate towards kind of that 30 or 50 gram per day is that classical ketogenic diet. Um, and then, but then you have to ask yourself like, well, am I testing blood ketones? How meaningful is that? When am I in ketosis? When am I not? What am I eating when I am? When I'm not? There's a lot, a lot to kind of unpack there as well. So I try to do enough kind of uh, description of what I'm doing as well as 
like some of the testing I've done with that stuff, just to give people an idea. And then ultimately they can decide if they want, whether they think I'm like ketogenic or if I'm low carb or any, or something in between. I think it's hard to argue that I'm not low carb when my, if you take my annual carbohydrate consumption, when you add in like all the really like low key exercise days and weeks where I'm recovering versus my highest training point of the year. I'm, yep. I'm averaging around 10% of my intake from carbohydrate. That's so, pretty low. Um, yeah, it's low. And, um, you know, sometimes you get the feeling that people think it's gotta be zero to be low, but, um, you know, I think 10% is awfully low. Uh, and then, you know, it gets interesting too, cause I call it a kind of a periodized approach where my training is very periodized where, the way I like to explain it is if you took like a calendar of my, of my year and you plucked out one day randomly. And if you happen to randomly pluck out a day after my biggest race of the year, my activity level might be nothing. Um, you could pluck out another day and you pick up my highest training day of the year or one of my big races. And my activity level can be like on a training day, sometimes two, three times above my resting metabolic rate, or, you know, if it's a hundred mile ultra marathon, maybe even four or five times that. Yeah. So um, you know, those, those, those are again, kind of what I was saying before, like the context that is required to kind of understand what is being applied there. Um, so when I am in my phase of training where I'm eating more carbs than I would during like a recovery phase, uh, there's a few things that we need to consider in that as well. And one of it's the activity level. So the overall energy expenditure, and then it, it there's kind of two ways to look at it too. Like if I do a really big training day, and, you know, maybe do like a 30 mile training run or something like that. Um, you know, th- that'd be a day where I'd be burning two, three times my resting metabolic rate. I might be in an energy deficit that day. Um, when I have a training day like that, I likely have a day or even two after that, where my energy expenditures are lower because my main focus is recovery at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so then on those days I might eat an energy surplus. So when we're looking at like what I ate on that day where I had the energy deficit, it can get tricky because if you look at the actual food I consume, you know, maybe I took in 20, 30% of my intake from carbohydrates. But when you look at the amount of calories I burned from uh, fat and glycogen stores, you know, it gets a little less clear in terms of what percentages of energy requirements my body is, is using throughout the course of that. So sometimes that's where it gets easier to kind of preface it like I did just before we're looking at, well, this is about what I have on average during the year. And then it ebbs and flows depending on what I'm doing. Well, and here's the thing. I, I've talked to several uh, marathon runners, uh, one very famously, Dr. Mark Kukazella. And I remember being on a panel with him at one of the low carb conferences uh, a couple years ago. And he said, look, uh, low carb keto people, you got to be OK with the context of a marathon runner that person having more carbohydrate, it's going to be all right because at the end of the race, you're still keto adapted. You're still fat burning at some point during these ultra marathons mm-hmm. that you're doing, Zach, I'm sure you're shifting way out of that, uh, you know, using all that glucose for fuel that came from those carbohydrates. And now you're off to the races with the the longevity of energy that's coming from the stored body fat because you've trained your body to use that. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I'll see that too. Like I'll, uh, I've done a little better of job of this recently just cause I've gotten enough questions now where, you know, I'm like, I gotta have some of this information if I want to accurately answer this stuff, just kind of checking blood ketone levels and things like that throughout yep. various phases of training. And I actually did probably the most comprehensive, 
uh, testing protocol during my last kind of peak training phase, which is when my carbohydrates are the highest that they get. And I, I, I checked approximately 25 times um, throughout that. And I was between 0.5 and 2.0 millimoles of blood ketones for all but maybe two of those, those testing sessions. Yeah. So like, even when I'm introducing the most carbohydrates in my diet, when you add in that lifestyle component and yes. the fact that I've been practicing a low carb, high fat diet for just over seven years now, it's like my body has gotten good at kind of tapping into that fat metabolization side of things. So I think like when I am testing these, these blood ketones, even in the presence of what would be considered maybe by someone who's a little more sedentary than I am, higher amounts of carbohydrate than they would like, um, I'm able to kind of keep that that fat burning session or that fat burning uh, side of things in in pretty good uh, robust shape. Have you ever worn a CGM, a continuous glucose device, uh, while you're doing training and or during a race? No, I haven't. But I've been I've been told about those a number of times. Yes, now, so freestyle libre. Be- <laughs> Go get you one, man. It's for two weeks. Yeah. It lasts two weeks, so you could do it the week leading up to your training and, and then mm-hmm. uh, to, for a marathon and then do the marathon. And then that one week after, man, that would be awesome data. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting too. Cause I think like when you look at like blood glucose and things like that, it is pretty fascinating what you see in folks, um, who are following a low carb or even a carnivore diet. Yeah. Um, like, cause I think sometimes people assume like, like, uh, my co-host, Dr. Sean Baker, um, you know, he eats, basically nothing but ribeyes, you know, he'll have like eggs, some fish and stuff from time to time with it. But like he's eating just mostly like what you would consider a zero carb quote unquote diet. He eats eggs um, for condiments. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and you know, if you test his blood, like, you know, if he does a big training session, like if he does an hour hard on like the rowing machines and the weights and stuff at the gym, like you'll see a, a, a spike in blood glucose. So it's like his body is finding ways to produce the, um, the, the, gl- the glucose required for some of those high intensity stuff, even without the presence of an exogenous carbohydrate source. Right. So I think that's, just really interesting to see. Um, and you know, the, really the only way to get a good clear look at that would be a continuous blood glucose monitor where you can kind of see like, Oh, this spiked right there, but it was five minutes after my, my workout. And then maybe five hours later when you, you had, hadn't eaten in five hours, maybe, and you've been a little more relaxed, you can kind of see some of those things dip back down. Um, and then like you said too, like throughout the course of a training week in a race versus, okay, I've been recovering now for five or seven days. Where are my, like, kind of, where are those, those numbers lying at that point? Have you been looking for a quality brand of CBD oil and didn't know where to turn? Let me introduce you to Botan CBD. Go to BotanCBD.com, that's B-O-T-A-N-C-B-D.com, and you'll see a full line of CBD oil products. The benefits of CBD oil are plentiful, including pain relief, anti-inflammation, mental clarity and focus, stress and anxiety reliever, and the list goes on. I've been using Botan CBD oil on my sciatica pain, and it makes it disappear. You can rub it on the body or take it orally and you can trust that Botan CBD is the highest quality CBD oil on the market. They are a pharmaceutical grade organic CBD small batch and handcrafted for you. Head on over to BotanCBD.com and use the code Jimmy at checkout for 
15% off your first order. Live life well. Botan CBD. Do you ever wonder where your meat comes from? Today, over 80% of beef comes from industrialized processes and companies don't want you to know the source. Now we have a company that cares about where your beef is coming from. They're called CrowdCow. Visit crowdcow.com slash show to learn how they do things differently. They give you full transparency into the independent farms that they work with and whether you're looking for quality grass-fed beef or luxurious Japanese Wagyu, Crowd CrowdCow is the craft meat marketplace. Food transparency is the wave of the future and it gives consumers access to both flavor and choice. We no longer have to put up with CAFO beef and industrialized agriculture. It just doesn't have to be that way anymore. Again, they're called CrowdCow and they source the best quality steaks that you can't get anywhere else in the world. Visit crowdcow.com slash show and they'll give you $25 off of your first order. Be informed, know the source, eat better meat, CrowdCow. All right, you mentioned the C word, so carnivore is, <laughs> is kind of out there, thanks to, like you said, your co-host uh, of your new podcast. Again, guys, go check it out, Human Performance Outliers. I definitely want to ask you about the podcast here in a minute, but uh, carnivore, Dr. Sean Baker and, and Amber O'Hearn has been out there talking about this for many years. There's a lot of proponents of a zero carb meat based diet. It's kind of the anti-vegan diet, I suppose you could say. Yeah. And I know Sean <laughs> likes to needle the vegans, uh, in his work. What do you think about this? I mean, is it something that you think is viable? It's certainly uh, simple. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it, it fits hand in hand of what we talked about before. It's like, you know, some people th- like they've, they've exhausted themselves with this whole diet and nutrition side of things. And, and then there's some people too, like, you know, you get the Michaela Petersons of the world who have just dealt mm-hmm. with like an insurmountable number of like health issues throughout their life that like, you know, 99.9% of us could never relate to. Um, and, you know, so for someone who is otherwise just healthy and robust, it might seem like absurd to turn to a diet that includes only meat, but to the person who is, you know, constantly, you know, dealing with chronic issues, and then they finally find something as simple as, you know, just altering their diet, you know, for them, it's probably like a no brainer on the other side of the spectrum. Uh, so I think it's, it's one of those, it's one of those things where a lot of times I think one of the draws to is it's, it's, it's pretty simple. Like the parameters are when you're hungry, you just, you know, eat a bunch of fatty meat until you're full. And then when you're full, you stop and then you wait. And then when you're hungry again, you eat again, you just let it take care of itself. <laughs> so it's, it's a, um, it's a no brainer, I guess, <laughs> in the sense that like, you don't have to overthink things. You don't have to calculate things. You don't have to be, you know, weighing and all that other stuff. So for some people, I think they've really gravitated toward that simplicity. Um, and like anything, you know, when, when something starts working for you and it makes like a profound notice in the way you feel and the way your energy levels are, you know, it's, it's, it's really kind of a game changer. So, um, it becomes hard to ignore when you see thousands of people. And I think sometimes people don't really realize like how many people are actually doing this. Like, uh, you know, there's, there's face groups, like Facebook groups, like Charles Washington's zeroing in on health where I think well, last time I checked, which is a while ago, it's probably higher now. I think he had like 30,000 people on there and they're pretty strict about like only letting in people who are just following kind of a carnivore diet, which I guess is defined as 
basically any any meat is fair game and any full fat dairy and eggs are fair game and they'll they'll consider you a, a carnivore um and these people are you know they're they're finding stuff so i mean it's it's one of those things i think where it, it's different enough where it's scary to a lot of people um so it's easy to kind of attack uh but it's also like it's changed some people's like life uh, enough where it's like why would i not want to talk about it so then you get this interesting dialogue going about it um you know i try to look at things in a positive light so uh for me it's i think having a robust number of options from a nutrition side of things mm -hmm. is great as long as we have the mindset where we should be looking at food and lifestyle medicine first and then if we need to move into some of these other things to try to help someone get along, we go that, uh, I think in, you know, in, uh, Western culture, we've gotten kind of away from that where it's kind of like, let's prescribe something first so we can get away with a bad diet as right. opposed to let's fix the diet. And then if the diets don't work and you have some really, really obscure situation, then we can start looking at some of this technology through the medication and things like that. Right. Um, so like whether you're vegan, keto, high carb, low carb, paleo, carnivore, you know, I think having these options are, are an ultimate win because now people have options. People can say, okay, here's, here's what's out there. Here's what I can try. And then they can, they can be their own judge. You know, I think if people are honest with themselves and use like their, the way they feel, the way they sleep, um, their mood, their energy and stuff like that as good bio or good like biofeedback loops, then you can identify whether your nutrition is playing a positive or negative role and kind of how, how things are going. So, um, it, it's, I think it's cool to see the carnivore movement, get some momentum and having people find that that's, that's what works for them. All right, Mr. Endurance athlete, would you do a carnivore race? A carnivore race? Uh, you know, so I haven't done enough playing around with it personally to know for sure or not if i would um i've done an eight day stretch and i did it after a after a race because that's usually when i'll drop my carbs really low anyway sure. um and I, I i i thought it it felt great it made it so when i'm trying to keep my carbs as low as i would during that phase of the uh of my program you know it's super easy like i was saying before i don't have to worry about Oh, did I accidentally eat 30 grams of carbohydrates? You know, you just, you're just eating fatty meat. You so really you just don't eat? have to worry about mostly red meat. I'd have like a uh, steak and ground beef. A lot of that. I'd have a little bit of maybe raw cheese, some clarified butter with yeah. it. And then, uh, it was pretty much kind of like a Sean, Sean Baker's protocol where I'd have some <laughs> eggs, fish and chicken as more, Attaboy. you know, additives. Yeah. <laughs> but I did a, a pretty heavy, uh, um, emphasis on red meat being the primary one. And, and I've actually, uh, I just finished my season for this year too. So I'm being, I'm being tempted to give it a longer stretch than eight days. And I'm currently on day two, I guess. Yeah. So however long I'll pull it off. If, if I do it while I'm in New Zealand, the next week and a half, I'm sure I'll have a lot of lamb, but, <laughs> but, uh, it'll be, it'll be, it'd be interesting. I would like to give it a, a fair 30 day shake sometime and kind of see how that goes. And, um, from my experience though, when you're making some of these bigger dietary changes and things in the presence of, you know, a pretty heavy training program, it's best to implement them in the off season right. and then let them kind of slide in as you build back up. Right. And what I suspect is as I start training again, I'll either notice like 
what I need to alter about it versus what I think I can get away with on that side of things as I get into higher levels of training. Um, you know, another thing I, a lot of times I try to tell people too, is like, um, what I'm doing, I wouldn't consider like healthy in the sense that like, I would say, well, if you really want to be optimally healthy and focus on longevity, you should go run ultra marathons. I don't think that's necessarily a smart move, but, um, you're kind of fighting a bit of an uphill battle just from a standpoint that you're asking so much of your body. Yeah. So what I do maybe doesn't necessarily mimic the ideal situation for like the human body, given the context of, of of someone's normal day-to-day life versus mine. Um, what I can say though, is like over the last year or so, I have certainly kind of skewed my low carb approach a lot closer to fatty cuts of meat. Uh, so now kind of when I'm planning out my, my nutrition, um, I'll, I'll kind of have a baseline of fatty cuts of meat, eggs and full fat dairy and that sort of thing kind of in place. And then I'll build on top of that a little bit. So for me, like the, the additives I might have is like, um, I'll add in some, uh, coconut oil or extra virgin olive oil. Um, if I'm traveling a lot, I'll use, uh, those, uh, uh, F bomb packs that are just basically macadamia yep. and, and, uh, um, avocado oil and some of them. And then they got like, uh, MCT and others. And you're going to be bringing uh, a bunch of those with you to New Zealand, yeah. aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. They travel nicely. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, you know, that sort of stuff is kind of what I add in on top of that baseline of kind of the fatty cuts of meat, right. uh, as I get more active. So the way I see it is like the, the meat, fatty cuts of meat are kind of like baseline nutrition for my, my, my basic needs if I weren't going to do anything. And then as I increase activity, I'll add probably more fatty cuts of meat, but then also other things too, like some full fat dairy, um, the extra virgin olive oil, coconut oils, the F-bomb type stuff yep. uh, on top of that. And then the carb sources that I do tend to prefer usually are like, uh, you know, sweet potatoes, melons, berries, um, that sort of thing, maybe some raw honey. So when I get into the training and I'm kind of hitting those workouts back to back with a, not a whole lot of time in between them, uh, I'll bring in some of those too. And those are kind of also a little bit of a supplement supplementary thing to that, that baseline structure. Yeah. A lot of people have the misconception that once you're fat adapted, that you can fuel yourself for these kinds of exercise performance just on the stored body fat, which you can but that's the long-term fuel source. The short-term is what you just described with the sweet potato and the berries and the and the raw honey. Um, mm-hmm. And you kind of need that, don't you, to kind of, I guess, get the explosive power? Is that is that what it gives you? Yeah, you know, th- it's been an interesting question to me, and I don't know if I necessarily have an absolute answer to it uh, that, that I would feel comfortable saying this is definitely the way this is working. But what I have noticed just from my own experience and with working with others is that it seems to be more about the time between sessions as it does the actual intensity of the session recovery. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think like when I've really, I've always thought about this, but I've really thought about it the most the last year after, you know, doing the podcast with Dr. Baker, because Dr. Baker is doing nothing but intensity. So like pound for pound intensity per week, he's doing more of that than I am. I'm just far exceeding him in terms of volume or number of hours spent moving, I guess, more or less. Um, so to me, that tells me like the fact that he's 
seen such good progress with not introducing carbohydrates. It has more to do with the fact that since he's doing such intense work, he's having long stretches between them. So if he does like if he's in like a, a good training phase, he's probably working out maybe an hour a day, but that hour is like, is no joke. So he's got a 23 hour stretch though, between that, that end of that one session to the beginning of the next one, or even more, if he does like a morning session and then an afternoon, the next day where he can kind of restock some of that lost muscle glycogen through like gluconeogenesis and, you know, a different pathway other than exogenous carbohydrates. Whereas for me, if I do a big training run in the morning, that's maybe two or three hours. And then I'm going to head to the gym later that afternoon for some mobility and strength work. You know, I might only have a four or five hour window. So that's where I think the efficacy of bringing in some of those more fast acting fuel sources are likely, likely important. Um, and a lot of it just comes from, you know, me playing around with it. Like in the past, I've tried sticking to what you'd consider like a strict ketogenic diet, classical ketogenic diet of that kind of 30 to 50 grams or less, mm-hmm. um, just throughout. And what I find is I can usually, I'll get through a couple big days of training without a hitch. And then all of a sudden you'll have this like, kind of like loss of your last gear. Um, it's so it's like your body's just not catching up from Do you the bonk. Uh, I wouldn't say it's like a bonk in the sense that like, um, cause when I think of bonk, I think of like almost losing control of your faculties. Right. You <laughs> and, can't like, move. Yeah. Almost mentally unstable too, at that point. Right. And, uh, so it's, it's less that it's like, I could still go out and run all day. Um, but like if I would be asked to do like, you know, do an up-tempo effort or, you know, power up a hill or something like that, I would just be like kind of flatlined more or less. <laughs> so by like, just what, what I, the way I describe it too, is I think like carbohydrates, they tend to be this, like, I mean, it's like rocket fuel when in the right presence, but it seems to be similar to a lot of things that we've, we've used for some people where, um, you know, if a little bit works, a lot must be better. And so we've kind of gone past that margin of diminishing returns where, um, you don't necessarily need to have 60, 70% of your intake coming from carbohydrates to get the explosive, um, the explosive nature of them. You, you, you can get fat adapted enough and introduce smaller amounts at the right time. You can kind of still do that. And, I've, I've more or less just learned that through myself in the sense that like I have all the data from what my workouts were like when I was high carb versus low carb. And, um, you know, when I, when I have that periodized approach with the strategic carbohydrate use, you know, I can still do the workouts to the level, um, if not better than I had in the past. So, um, some of it is clearly, you know, just progression through the sport to, you know, endurance is a long-term game in terms of just building, building volume and exposure at the activity. So there's definitely improvements that just kind of take place as you've done it, done it longer. Um, but you know, some of it's also just, you know, fine tuning other things like sleep, nutrition, and that sort of thing. And, you know, sleep was one of the first things I really noticed was working better for me in the presence of high training, um, and lower carbohydrate. And it was one of the, the catalysts that convinced me that it was something that I should probably explore more, dig into a bit. Do you track your sleep with something like an aura ring or anything like that? I haven't done too much of that. I, I, I have had like a, just like a wrist-based heart rate monitor that mm-hmm. was tracking like heart rate variability and then just like waking sessions versus like deep sleeping sessions and yep. things like that. Um, not, not enough to like really have a, a super good look at it. But the it's way I cool kind of data, man. It is, I, I got one of the Ur rings and they're amazing to be able to yeah. see the four stages of sleep and 
Yeah, it, it, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> I, I'm surprised that uh, as as in depth as you get with your body, get one, man. I think you'd really enjoy. It. Yeah, I might have to from I'm a data geek standpoint. That, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I have all that stuff on the back of my mind, and it's like. <laughs> You know, part of me is like, I know how curious I get. So I'm like, okay, let's just do one thing at a time. Here. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I think I'm getting to a point where I would be, it'd be kind of cool to check that out. But to some degree too, I think, um, uh, you can like, you can use your, your feedback loop as well. And yep. like you get a pretty clear, I think connecting it to that data is really cool. Cause then you can really see like, oh, when I feel like this, this is what the data looks like. Or yes. when I feel crummy this is what the sleep data looks like. You can kind of connect those dots. That's right. And I I like that because that kind of adds validity to your, your anecdote more or less. Um, but yeah, you know, for me, it was like, I was always a good sleeper earlier in my life. Um, like in high school and college and stuff like that. And it wasn't until I started doing ultra marathons where, you know, I started noticing poor sleep quality and a lot of that could be attributed to the lifestyle. Um, but you know, I was, I did run in high school and college and stuff like that. So it's not like it was completely foreign to my body. Uh, but you know, that all went back to normal when I switched the diet and I didn't change the training program at all. So to me, it was like, you can look at these things in such a variety of different ways. It's like, if you look at it just strictly on paper in terms of macronutrients and how they're giving you either more power or less power, it's like, that's one side of the puzzle. But you know, it can give you all the power you want, but if you're not recovering from that session or sleeping well, then, you know, you might have to adjust something else, whether that be nutritionally or otherwise. So, um, you know, sometimes these things present themselves in a pretty clear way when you, when you give them the, the opportunity to kind of take shape. Yep. All right. I got to know the story behind how you and Sean uh, hooked up to do this podcast. So uh, if you missed it, Human <laughs> Performance Outliers is the name of the podcast. Go look it up wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, it's everywhere. But uh, you and Dr. Sean Baker, Mr. Carnivore Diet, decided to do this podcast together. How'd you guys meet? Yeah, you know, I guess the, the first time I ever heard uh, Dr. Baker was on Twitter. Um you know, he was pretty active on that from an early stage, even before his kind of popularity boost uh, via the Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah. Uh, um, but I so I followed him back when he only had a couple thousand followers on Twitter. So that's where I kind of first saw what he was up to. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, basically, I've been looking at doing a, some sort of podcast type of thing for a couple of years now. I just didn't really know exactly what angle I wanted to take and how I wanted to put it into practice. Uh, and I, I, I came to the conclusion that I thought it'd be more fun to have a co-host. Um, so then I thought like, well, if I have a co-host, I don't know that I necessarily want someone who's doing exactly the same thing I am. Cause then we kind of have two of the same. So then I, the, you know, I was thinking about it. I was like, well, here we have Sean Baker, who's literally twice as big as I am. And his activities are <laughs> literally the polar opposite of mine. But our nutritional approaches are pretty similar and yeah. we're looking, we're looking more to that, like fat burning engine and, um, that side of the world versus the high carb. So I'm like, we have these pretty uniquely similar nutrition approaches, but our activity levels could not be any different. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought that'd be kind of a cool way to look at it because then we'd have like, oh, here's someone who's using it for high intensity training and you know, short burst duration things. And then we have someone who's, you know, literally running all day sometimes. So we kind of have both ends of the spectrum kind of covered there. And I think it creates an interesting dynamic. 
So you you don't think you and Durian Ryder could do a podcast together? Uh? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it, it, I think we could. It might just only last three episodes. <laughs> I was going to say, I wouldn't give it three minutes. What are you talking about? <laughs> he said, you're yeah. bloody, you're bloody that. Yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> his name is Zach Bitter. ZachBitter.com is his website. Z-A-C-H-B-I-T-T-E-R.com. He's all over the interwebs, Instagram, Zach Bitter, Twitter, Z Bitter. And uh, again, Human Performance Outliers is the name of said podcast that he does with Dr. Sean Baker. Definitely go check it out. Subscribe and listen. You guys are great. You're doing a great job as somebody that's podcasted for years. I'm just amazed how people just pop on the scene and they're suddenly wonderful podcasters. It took me years to hone the craft. So good job. Thank you so much. And, and thanks a bunch for having me on, Jimmy. It's It's been a blast. Living the vida loca. This show is changing lives. We talking about your diet, trying to get you feeling right. Cut up the avocados, fry some eggs. Time to explore the longest running health podcast, hosted by Jimmy Moore. Time to give up the crappy garbage. We're getting into ketosis. Every day is a new step to your goal. Yeah, you're getting closer. Motivated and focused. Don't stop, just go. Time to get inspiration from the Living La Vida Low Carb Show. Hey. The Living Low Carb Show Disc of Light. <laughs>